I invite you to turn in your copies of God's holy and inspired word back to the Gospel of Matthew. Once again, we will be looking at Matthew 7, verses 1 through 6. Uh, the focus will be on verse 6, but I purposely am going to read that as part of the first six verses. Um, because the, these, these are all held together. This is, verse 6 isn't something new. It is something that is a continuation of what Jesus has been saying in the first five verses. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, then you will be able to see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, please reveal yourself to us through your word this morning. And in particular, Lord, reveal to us the wisdom that Christ is, is providing to his church. A wisdom that is most necessary for us to, to learn to, to live mature lives of discipleship under Christ. Learning, Lord, to, to relate to you, ourselves, and one another. Even as you have shown us how to do so in Christ. And so bless us and help us to be wise. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever noticed how easy it is and how often we do judge others by their actions but will judge ourselves according to our intentions someone we we maybe said something to someone and and, and didn't think anything of it and the next day they come back to us and they, they tell us you know, that, that their feelings were hurt, that they're offended. How often do we respond uh, without even thinking about it, at least within our own hearts? Well, but that's not what I intended, right? And we do that because, one, we honestly you know, didn't intend that. And, and so we want to, to be a people who are about the truth, but... But we also we are revealing something about ourselves there, that we tend to, to think about what we do on the basis of what was intended. But when we interact with others, we tend to judge them on the basis of what they actually do. What Jesus is trying to help us to see here in, in this wisdom literature of, of these first six verses here of chapter 7 is, is that for the people of God to be the, the type of kingdom citizens, 
that he has been describing throughout the Sermon on the Mount. Citizens who, who are humble in, in the way that they approach God, the way that they approach themselves, and especially the way that they approach their neighbor. If we are going to be a people who, who are salt and light, which, which involves us, living under our own correction and allowing the word to filter through our lives, allowing the word to correct our attitudes, allowing the word to, to correct our actions. If we're going to be a people that are salt and light, who, who are offering needed correction. All right, sorry. If we're going to be the kind of people who can offer wisdom to those around us as being salt and light, there's a way to do it and there's a way not to do it. And it's not a clear black and white. Here, here are the six steps for doing it the right way. This is a matter of learning wisdom. This is a matter of learning how to take the truths that, that God is revealing to us in his word and, the, and the, the truth that God is revealing to us in creation. And how do we take these truths and learn to embody them within ourselves that we are the kind of people that can offer assistance to those around us. As we noted, this, 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 this instruction that Jesus gives us here of, of judge not, it doesn't mean that we are not to be a discriminating people, and it doesn't mean that we're not supposed to assess. Him saying that you've, you've got a log in your own eye, so, so you know what makes you think you can deal with the speck in your brothers? That's not the final word, because if you remember, he says take the log out of your own so that you can assist your brother with his speck the reality is we live in a fallen world and you and i even though we may be redeemed in jesus christ and counted righteous you and i are not actually as righteous as we're counted to be and so we as we just sang moments ago as we sang about the dying thief who was on that cross Next to Jesus, though vile as he, not Jesus, but as vile as the thief that was dying on the cross next to Jesus, as vile as he, that there is a recognition within ourselves that we are still sinful. And we don't get to assume a moral superiority within ourselves because of our identification with Jesus Christ. And so there are two extremes we are to avoid. We are to avoid that passivity that, that just says, hey, you know, everyone just kind of do whatever they think is right, and you know, we, we're not going to get involved in confrontation. We're supposed to avoid that extreme. But we're also supposed to avoid the extreme of a critical spirit being those who are quick to take offense, 
or being those who are quick to assume that we know better and that we are going to assume a role of going around and, and policing everybody. What Jesus says is we need to start with ourselves and make, and, and make sure that, that I am someone who is striving to follow Jesus Christ and that I'm striving to pray that prayer of Psalm 139 of, Lord, you know me, and so, Lord, search me and reveal to me what is truly there, that I might repent and that I might learn to mature within that area of my life, that, that we ask the Lord to reveal to us what's really going on within us. And what he reveals, we deal with it. We, we, we respond to it in the, in, through that lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you realize that every time you become aware of a particular sin that you have committed, whether it is in actions, whether it is in attitudes, whether it is in words, all you're discovering is a detail that God already knew that Jesus has already covered. You're not learning something where, where you are in danger of finding out that, hey, here's a detail about me that Jesus may have missed. What you're learning is a detail that Jesus has already covered. What you're learning is a detail where Jesus has already actively obeyed for you. You're learning a detail where Jesus' active obedience and where his passive obedience have both been gifted to you. What you're learning are details. But so often we, we feel threatened. There's a lot in the book of Proverbs. We read some last week. We read some this morning. There's a lot in the book of Proverbs. There's a lot in the New Testament that addresses the issue of being someone who is wise or being someone who is a fool. Now, let me tell you what, what the Bible doesn't mean by that. The Bible doesn't mean that if you are part of the people of God, that you're wise and that those who reject Jesus are the fools. Okay, that's not the biblical paradigm. What Jesus is saying is within the church, there will be people who live foolishly. And there will be others who live wisely. But going beyond that, it doesn't mean that you get classified as being, oh, well, you're a wise person and you're, a wise guy, <laughs> that you're, you're a fool. The, the reality is, is you can be very wise one moment and, a, and an hour later totally act a fool. We're, we're going to do both. And it is because of this, beloved, that these words don't mean don't judge at all and why these words don't mean be really excited 
in, in, in assessing everyone else. What Jesus is saying is within the accountability that we live in, there is a way that we can do it that can actually help ourselves and help our neighbor. And there's a way to do it where we don't. The images that Jesus uses here in verse 6, as, as we focus in on this particular verse, is it's so, it's so fascinating to read through liter- the literature, not, in, not even all of it, just read through a, a portion of it, and, and how frequently commentators, or, or I, I, I listened to a lot of sermons over the last few weeks, how frequently conservative pastors get to verse 6 and they turn verse 6 not into, okay, within the church as we learn to live uh, within that, that proper accountability within ourselves. No, what they do is they jump and they say, okay, well now, you know, because of what Jesus says here about dogs and hogs, what we want to do is make sure that, that we ask the question, well, does this mean, you know, that I'm supposed to, you know, preach the gospel to an unbeliever? Where did that come from? I don't know about y'all, but I don't see that when I read the text. Jesus is not jumping ship here. Now let me give you something that's completely unrelated. No, what Jesus is doing here is what God has revealed throughout the Scripture. As his people, there is a place for us to live wisely, and there is a foolishness for us to avoid. And the wisdom and the foolishness here is pictured both in terms of the person potentially receiving correction, but also the person who is potentially giving correction. Now let's let that hit you for a second. Jesus doesn't say, well, if you're right and the other person is wrong, it doesn't matter what you do or how you do it. So these images of the dog, the image of the pigs, when it comes to the when it comes to the dog, it, it seems to be that that Jesus is is looking back to to the proverbs, where he's looking back to um, to that that dog who who um, likes to return to his own vomit, where the where the image of the dog is is often used to describe someone who is foolish. It is foolish to curl and then take it back in. All right? I'm not going to get too graphic here. That's foolish. Right? It's not just icky. It is icky. But it's not just that. It's foolish. That makes no sense. Why would you do that? There are going to be times where you and I will be acting foolishly. And when we are 
in those states of foolishness, we deal with the temptation that comes with that foolishness, which is to disregard wisdom when it's offered. We read a lot of verses last week. We read some today from Proverbs of of just how frequently a fool manifests that foolishness by not being ready to receive a word that they need. One of the things that Jesus is telling us here then is there is a time to speak and there is a time not to. That there is a time when you, you see someone in their foolishness, you've done the work of dealing with the log in your own eye, and now you are coming to this other person to try to help. Well, if they are revealing within that circumstance that, that they uh, are not going to, to listen to you one bit whatsoever, then you let the word that you've shared, you let it stand and you let it go. This does not mean only share what you think is helpful if you're convinced someone will listen. That's not what he's saying. But how frequently when we see someone just living in some obvious, obvious sin, where it's hurting them and it's hurting their family, it's hurting the relationships, where we will go to them and and try to help them and they don't want to hear it, how often does that then lead to escalation? Where Where it becomes, rather than someone offering a wise word and offering to be a part of helping Instead, does it become a fight that gets escalated into an argument where we fall prey to what Paul warns us of in Galatians 6, that we want to help restore somebody with gentleness and respect and to watch out that we don't get tempted to join them in the sin, in the process. Now, does this mean that there's never a time to to push forward with an actual ecclesial correction? No, but that's not what Jesus is addressing here. Jesus addresses that in Matthew 18, and he gives very clear instruction how to do that. And he gives very clear instruction that the church is to do it. Matthew 18 provides a very clear path for how to exercise church discipline, which is needed. But that's not what Jesus is addressing here in Matthew 7. He's not addressing church discipline here. He's addressing the relationships within the church when there has been an experience of offense within, within the relationships within the church when the the sinfulness of sinners who are considered to be righteous, who are trying to function as a community of faith, when that sin is chafing the relationships, how do we respond? And he says, 
that there are that one we want to be ready to help someone we take the we help our brother get the speck out of his eye because the brother needs that and and you and I get to play a role in helping our brother and sister but this is not permission to be a jerk for Jesus this is not an invitation to go around policing everybody and micromanaging everybody. This is not permission to be excited to render judgments on everything and everyone. And this certainly is not to be utilized as an excuse to just get a hurtful jab in. I feel hurt by them, and so... I'm southern enough not to know to just go right after them, so I'm just going to bless their heart with something. (laughs) But so often, words that are offered, that seem to be offered under the guise of, let me help you with your speck, are not words that are offered to help. They are words that are offered to give yourself the dopamine blast of having gotten your dig in. And so what does Jesus tell us? Let's look out for the log in our own eye before we go to address someone else. And so we are to make sure that at least the motivation and intention behind our words is to help. But we have to acknowledge sometimes in the process of trying to offer help that help is not wanted and will be outright rejected And it is then at that point that we in wisdom can say, well, we can take a step back. We've offered them, but we're not going to sit there and drill them and micromanage them. If there is outright sin that is just being lived in and, and not responded to, it's not your role as the layperson to then judge and go after. You go to Matthew 18, you look at the steps there, and ultimately it is the church that will go after. But we have to be very careful that we, that we are not setting ourselves up to carry out a task that may not be something you've been called to do. Which means it's a burden that you do not have to bear. Now, some of us do have to bear that burden. And those who are called to bear that burden have an even heightened responsibility of dealing with others in gentleness and respect. Because if you are an officer who has been ordained to represent the rule of Christ in the exercising of the authority of the church in discipline, it is even more tempting to make it personal 
and to go after someone not to help them, but because we're, we, we have been hurt by them or offended by them. I hope what you're hearing this is not is that this is not easy. This is not simple. It requires wisdom. We are also not to throw our pearls before before pigs, before swine. Now, the pigs that is being referred to here is not the wild boar that are out on the David's farm over in South Georgia. This is not those wild boar that are mean and looking to to go after you. These, what is being referred to here, are the domesticated pigs that, you know, basically lived a life of of being pampered in in their um, filth. But there is a way to deal with those pigs that you could stir up anger within them. And those pigs, even the domesticated ones, could become extremely dangerous. And so part of what Jesus is saying here is there are going to be people who don't want to receive a word. And, and so here's, here's what to do with that. There are other people that will receive a word, but if you don't do it right, you can actually be the one that escalates the situation and them come after you. There is a wisdom of knowing when to speak and when not to speak. There is a wisdom in knowing how to speak. There is a wisdom in knowing what to say and what not to say. There is a wisdom in knowing who you are talking to. Well, first of all, there's a wisdom in knowing yourself. Knowing your own, what are my temptations? Am I, am I someone who is more naturally tempted to being impatient? Well, then I need to prepare my heart before I go talk to this person. Because if they don't just listen to me the first time, I, I know myself, I know that I'm going to get tempted to start escalating. And so I have to prepare myself before I even get there. But I also want to prepare uh, myself on the basis of, of who I'm talking to. We, we know this with children, for example. We know that there are some children that a, a stern look will make them melt. Then there are some children like me when I was a child. Needed a little more firmness than a look. And still often didn't learn <laughs> But we know that there are different levels of sensitivity. And we know that for some people, if, if you just throw out a couple of hints that they're acting a fool, they pick up on it and, it's, and, they, and they, get, they feel devastated. With that person, you don't want to go in with a hammer. You will, you will not help them. You'll crush them. There are others of us who are not going to pick up on any hint one bit whatsoever. 
And some of us need to just be punched in the nose. And if you come at someone like that, and you just throw out a couple little soft hints, and maybe they'll pick up on that, and maybe they'll follow that bread trail, that's not helping them. But see, there is a wisdom that is involved in knowing yourself and knowing the other person well enough to know how do I speak to them so that my speaking to them can actually potentially be helpful for them. It's not enough to just simply know the truth. We want to know the truth but learn how to communicate that truth helpfully for the person and the circumstance of what is happening. One of the things I loved when I was an intern under an older pastor in Pittsburgh years ago, um, I had done an unofficial internship under a young pastor um, and learned some things there, but, but then did an official internship under an older pastor. And it was amazing to sit under Dan's ministry and watch the way he dealt with people. And, and Dan was a man's man. He was gruff and liked to chop wood for fun and just he was an old school man's man. But he could be so gentle and more often than not, was very gentle. But there were a couple of times when we were dealing with a couple of people that had very serious problems where the gentle approach, it became clear that it was not going to be effective. And I remember seeing him in one very specific conversation flip a switch and go from gentle to appropriately stern. And it was like, afterwards I was like, how did you learn to do that? How, how, where, like, like, how did you know in that moment? And he said, I, I didn't. But as I've, as I've tried to deal with, to shepherd people, I've just learned that some sheep need to be encouraged this through these techniques. Some sheep need these other techniques. I've had to learn to do all the techniques, is what, is what he told me. And he said, so often pastors get limited into to the th to the approaches they're comfortable with and they stay there and the problem is lots of different approaches are needed we don't take what's holy and shove it down a dog's throat there is a time to speak there is a time not to speak when we speak, there is a way to speak that we can make the situation worse or we can be a part of setting the situation to become better.
and there is no black and white instruction I can give you that guarantees that, that you will do it right. And there is absolutely no expectation that we should have that we will do it without making mistakes. And so, beloved, at the heart of, of this wisdom that Jesus is giving us for our own self-assessment and, and that assessment that we utilize in living within the accountability of the Christian faith as the church of Jesus Christ, it is for us to be preaching the gospel to ourselves to the point that we are learning to view ourselves in Christ and we are learning to see one another in Christ and to let that dominate the way we interact as those who have a shared life in Christ. The other day at coffee, I was reminded of one of my favorite books, which is the book To Kill a Mockingbird. Love that book. One of the things that, that the has stuck with me from the very first time that I read it was this encounter that the the main character, little little scout, I forget what grade she's in. It's like second, third, something like that. If I'm completely wrong, with gentleness and respect, correct me afterwards. No, I'm just joking. I have to be punched in the nose, so I'm just letting you know. Um, but it's, her, it's the first day of school. And, and Scout is, she is, she is, a, she is a, a wonderful little girl, but she also is extremely precocious. And so she, at school, it's the very first day, she has a new teacher. And this new teacher is new to the town. So she's come from off. And so she doesn't know all the individual families. She doesn't know all of the stories that are behind the families. She doesn't know who's connected to whom. She doesn't know, well, who are the families that are important? Who are the families that are not important? You know what I mean. She, she doesn't know any of that. And so it starts to, it's lunchtime, and they're, they're going to have lunch, and she, she realizes that one of the students doesn't have money for lunch. And so she does the Christian thing. And she offers some money to the little boy. Now the little boy refuses. And the teacher presses. Well, why don't why don't you want this? You need to eat and she's pressing. And the little boy is just refusing. So Scout speaks up. She thinks she's going to help the situation. And so she explains that the reason he won't take it is because his family's really poor. And so he can't give the, he wouldn't be able to pay the money back. So he's not going to accept charity and she should know this since she's the teacher. Well, she gets reprimanded by the teacher publicly there in front of the other students. It embarrasses her. Well, then at lunch they go out onto the playground and, of course, he doesn't have lunch to eat, so he's just kind of walking off by himself. And Scout goes up and just lays into him because he embarrassed her because of, how he, because of what he did. And her other brother, Jim, walks up, stops her, 
looks at the boy and says, would you like to come eat with us? And so they go home because they lived right by the school, so they would go eat at home every day. So they bring the little boy with them to the home, and the little boy, because he is poor, he doesn't have very good table manners, and once again, Scout thinks she's going to help matters out and starts pointing out how ridiculous his, his table manners are. And so then Calpurnia has to get onto her again. And she just has one of those kinds of days where everything she does, where she thinks she's helping out, is getting her in trouble. And so at the end of the day, she's talking to her dad, and, and, and there Atticus is, is listening to her, how her day went. And then he says to her, If you can learn one simple trick, Scout, you'll get along a lot better with all kinds of folks. You never really understand a person until you consider things from his point of view, until you climb into his skin and walk around in it. It's a bit of a ghoulish way of saying you you really need to walk a mile in another man's shoes. And this isn't to excuse the person, but it is to connect with the person to better understand them so that you can provide actual assistance to them. But much more than that, this is the gospel that Jesus calls us to as his church. Because Jesus came and walked around in our skin, taking on flesh in the incarnation, being tempted with all the same temptations you and I face, dealing with all the same kind of sinful situations, all the same difficult people, and yet did so without sin but did so in such a way that he has become a heavenly high priest who knows us, who understands what we are going through. And not only has he he overcome all of that for us, but he even leads us as the good shepherd according to to knowing what you and I need so that some of us uh, learn through, through certain gentle techniques and some of us learn because he has to drop a hammer on us sometimes. But our Savior knows what we face because he has walked in our skin. But because of his death and his resurrection and the new body that he has received in that resurrection, beloved, we now in Christ, by his grace, live as those who are walking in his skin. And that is who we are called to be as we as we strive to live in the wisdom of how knowing how to relate within the church in the midst of ongoing sin 
in the midst of the ongoing chafing that, that is going to happen within the church, within the ongoing struggles that you and I have with, with being unwise like a dog and, and easily escalated like a pig, that within all of this, His grace is forming us into Himself. And so He calls us to walk as those who are in Him as we relate to one another as those who are in Him together with us. Beloved, this is what we are as the church. And it is the gospel of Jesus Christ that not only empowers us, but teaches us how to relate wisely to one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for your amazing grace. And so often, Lord, we, we tend to, to segregate your, your grace to only certain parts of, of our lives or certain parts of, of the world, certain parts of reality. And yet, Lord, it is the gospel of Jesus Christ that, that is, is what gives meaning and purpose to your church within this world. And so, Lord, help us to live as those who are consciously cultivating our in-Christness. That we would not be a people who are quick to take offense. That we would not be a people who are, are, are afraid of, of confrontation. That we would not be a people who are too excited about confrontation, that we would not be a people who are quick to assume moral superiority. But Lord, help us to be a people who actively cultivate the patience of Jesus Christ and the wisdom of Christ as he has revealed his relational wisdom to us in the different ways that he interacted with the different parties that we can read throughout the Gospels. And so, Lord, bless our attempts to implement your grace and your truth in a way that reveals your goodness and appears beautiful. And, Father, may we, as your people, Learn to, to not be afraid of learning details about the, the accomplishments of Jesus Christ for us. Help us to be the wise person who is willing to receive correction. And Lord, help us to be one who gives that correction with gentleness and respect. And give us wisdom, Lord, to know when it is time to move from, from trying to restore a, a relationship that has experienced personal or interpersonal conflict. Give us wisdom to know when it is time to escalate a correction to the level of the church's discipline. Father, this, this stuff, is, it's so important and it is so vital.
And we are just so typically not good at it. And so forgive us and help us. For we pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.